Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Hills. And we have a special guest with us today. Uh, all the way from Texas, we have one of my longtime friends, the guy that I knew in middle school, knew in high school, and he and I, he and I have talked politics on and off. So we're happy to have him here. John, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. So today on your podcast, here is the deal. We are going to talk inauguration. We're going to talk about the Capitol riots, past, present, and future. We're going to talk some impeachment. Guys, it is a uh, three-person podcast, three topics today. Hope you guys are ready for it. Big, big podcast. <laughs> we will, maybe we'll ride on the pod. <laughs> we should ride on the pod. Absolutely. John, are you down for a ride on the pod? I think so. Yeah, I think I could be game for that. Uh, just so long as I'm not, you know, killed or anything. Just I want a good, clean, family, you know, family fun kind of riot. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best kind. Now, John, you were actually on, you've worked on Capitol Hill, right? That's correct. Yes. I, so I actually interned for two members of Congress That's when I was an undergraduate. And then I also returned that following summer um, to do more of a summertime in, internship. Uh, when I was an undergrad, I did it for just a month and I really loved it. I loved being on the Hill. I loved, you know, just attending meetings and interacting with the members. And um, I even went to a congressional baseball game with the member of Congress that I interned with. Like I just... I had really remarkable access, and it was just a great experience being where the action is, so to speak. About a year or so later, um, I interned with a, with another member of Congress um, for about a month and a half or so. Um, and after doing that, I also did some work for a uh, lobbying company in the private sector. I'm by no means, I should just you know preface all of what I'm about to say by just saying I'm by no means a you know, political scientist. Uh, I'm just, I'm somebody that has a love for politics. I was a poli-sci major. Um, I, it's something that I follow pretty aggressively in my day-to-day -day life. And I'm excited to share what expertise I can, you know, provide on, on this podcast. I'm deeply honored to have even been invited to be on here. Well, we are, we're happy to have you on. Glad that you can bring in your insider knowledge and glad that you weren't uh, at Capitol Hill when the riot happened. It's a very tense time. I have friends that still, you know, work, or friends in, in the offices that I worked in. And hopefully we don't have to deal with that kind of craziness again. But we will see. As Trump likes to say, we will see what happens. How did you feel seeing all those images? And I mean, you being, you were having worked on, on the Hill for, for a little bit. Um, I felt, I mean, I think like everybody else, right? I think, you know, we're, we were all going through a wide range of emotions. Um, I felt deeply filled with rage um, just because I've, I've walked through those halls, I've been in those rooms, um, you know, like I said, I have, I have friends that are there, and just seeing these insurrectionists just defile, like literally attack an institution of government the way that they did made me profoundly angry, and actually, I remember when it happened, and I was, I was in the middle of a conference call, and my phone was just getting lit up with texts from people saying, oh my god, can you believe what's happening, and da-da-da-da, and I had to, like, pull myself away from the phone call and, like, just, you know, get caught up to speed, and once I went back on the call, it was very, very difficult for me to even just, like, have the, you know, just return back to normal and, you know... I was just, it was a state of shock and I'm still, I'm still processing it, um, to some extent. So 
yes, it was it was a lot to deal with for sure. Yeah, we will get into all of that uh, in the riots and stuff. And um, now for p- possibly the worst transition ever. Ever have you subscribed to the podcast? Because um, <laughs> if you if you haven't, please do so now. It will help uh, you get the episodes faster. All you have to do is go into our podcast wherever you're listening to it and click uh, subscribe. If you leave us a written review, uh, if we get five or more reviews, it will make the show turn up a lot faster. Uh, so please write something about us, uh, and it will truly, truly help. Yes, and I'd like to just add my two cents in. Uh, by the way, Josh, that was not the worst transition ever. The worst transition ever is like literally happening before our eyes with <laughs> Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I mean, so you're. I, I thought that was a fine transition. <laughs> I would like to just add my two cents here, and it's that I've listened to this podcast. I completely endorse it, um, and like Josh said, I've you know I've known Josh for a long time, and the guy knows his stuff. He's well spoken. He and Hills have a great sense of uh, camaraderie, and I I myself have left a review, and so I would encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast, whether you're you know, a political scientist and, and you're listening to it and you're probably laughing at some of the things that I'm forgetting to bring up or if you're just somebody that's wanting to hear a different side of, of how things are going in our political system, please listen, please subscribe, please leave a review and um, please tell everybody else that you know that is passionate about politics to check this out because it really is a great podcast. No, thank you, John. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, that plug. Um, and, uh, we are going to get into our pre-dinner shot that Hills is going to bring you, and that's coming up right now. For your pre-dinner shot today, we have a special inauguration question, and thank you, Josh, for this question. The question is, who was the last president to not attend an inauguration for their successor? Again, who was the last president to not attend an inauguration for their successor? You're going to have to go to the history books for this one. <laughs> Josh, is that where you found it? It is. It is. Uh, it is where I found it. And let me tell you, you have to go back a while because we haven't had a child in the White House in many, many years. So you have to go back quite, quite, quite a way. But it's it's a good question. I'm curious if any of our, of our listeners know the answer, but uh, you will find it out at the end of the podcast. So and and the caveat here is that they are obviously alive. Obviously, Correct. like FDR did not attend the inauguration for Truman because he was dead. So right. like. You, that's not a real answer. No. John, without looking at the answer, did you know the answer to the question? I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I This is one of those things where, like, it, it. I feel like it's a very basic, you know, bit of history, and I, I just don't even know. I, I couldn't even tell you who it would be. <laughs> well, we're all going to find out. You will. <laughs> and uh, coming up right now, we're going to talk all about impeachment. Welcome to your appetizer, which is all about impeachment. So, I'm sure all of you know by now, but just in case you didn't or you've been living under a rock, on Wednesday, January 13th, Donald J. Trump became the first president to ever be impeached twice in our nation's history. He now has half of the impeachments in the United States, which is pretty cool. Uh, Trump was impeached for inciting violence after the Capitol riots. In the House, you had 232 members in favor of impeachment, 197 who were not in favor, and you had 10 Republicans who voted for impeachment, therefore making it the most bipartisan impeachment vote in the nation's history. 
Uh, guys, initial reactions. John, we'll start with you. What are your, what are your initial reactions to impeachment? Oh, man, what a loaded question. What are my reactions? Uh, I So, I mean, obviously, I'm in favor of the move. I think that, you know, there was talk of other procedural steps like censuring and, you know, maybe some kind of joint statement, you know, things like that. I think while they're good intentioned and well-meaning, I, I think the it's it's very clear to me that the president was fully culpable with inciting the insurrection and i think in this particular instance the only you know recourse that one could really take was impeachment um you know it it was it was nice to see that it was the largest bipartisan impeachment in our nation's history um but when you consider the fact that it really was only 5% of the gop conference you know that that's a bit sobering you know you would think that with the plainness of the video and, you know, him drumming up, you know, uh, advance notice of this event, that it would attract more vocalized condemnation from the party. You would think that, and you know, in a normal political system. But, of course, that's not the reality. So while I'm pleased that they took this step and that it was a bipartisan impeachment, um, I can't help but feel still very, very dismayed that there weren't more big figures that were coming out in support of it. I mean, Kevin McCarthy evidently was, you know, internally polling his conference saying, should I call the president and and insist that he resign? Like, I mean, I just think that's so, it's so ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it's like, why do you need to ask for permission to do that? I mean, you're the number one you know, figurehead of your party in the House. Like, I just, I don't understand how the party, I mean, I get it to a certain extent, but it's just, it's so frustrating that this party that has called itself the party of law and order just seems completely incapable of living up to that value. I appreciate the fact that they, that they took this step. I think it sends a strong message that this behavior cannot and should not be tolerated, but I'm also very disappointed that more people within the party didn't come out in strong numbers to vote for impeachment. Hills, uh, uh, why do you think so many Republicans uh, refused, even, even after Kevin McCarthy said, should I call the president and tell him to resign? Why do you think only 10 Republicans had any uh, courage to do the right thing? Because they suck. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, you know why? It's because... They're voters. They, their voters are in, totally enamored with Trump. At the end of the day, I think we have to all face the facts that like, the Republican Party, for good or for worse, is taken over by being you know, part of the Trump cult. I would say of the 74 million people who voted for Trump, I'd say, you know, give or take, maybe a little bit more than half, maybe 50, 60, or maybe even 70% love Donald Trump. So if you're going to remove him from office, even though it's the right thing to do, and if you're more concerned about like winning your your election results, that's like the worst thing for you to do. There is like no incentive other than being a good person for them to do it. And they're not good people. So there's no incentive for them. I mean, I love that the House went ahead with impeachment and Donald Trump got double impeached. I mean, that is the best thing. And I love that the conviction they had. But I mean, something's seriously wrong with the Republican Party and the incentive structures are just not there. I, I totally agree. Um it's it's beyond frustrating and like like you said it's great that it's the most bipartisan impeachment vote in the nation's history but like john said it's you know five percent five percent of the of the gop uh 
party in the in, in, in the house believes in impeachment. And it's just it's absolutely bonkers. Um, so um, right now it's going to go to the Senate. Uh, I, I believe Nancy Pelosi has said she is going to be sending impeachment articles in the coming. I think it's this week at some point. The week of the inauguration. Um, so Mitch McConnell has said that he is not going to bring the Senate back early. Uh, so the trial is set to begin probably on January 19th. And at that time, Chuck Schumer will probably be the majority leader. Mitch McConnell has not said how he's going to vote. And he's said to be open to the idea of impeachment. And he wants to uh, rid Trump and the GOP. He wants to make that a clean break. A little too late for that, Mitch. So far, we have Murkowski and Pat Toomey, who have signaled they will vote uh, to convict. Guys, what do we think? How are you feeling about the Senate? Hills, we'll start with you this time. What are your thoughts about the Senate? Do you think the Senate, like, what percent chance would you give the Senate of, of convicting Trump? Ooh, ooh. Okay, with the information that we know today, which is correct, you know, uh, Sunday, uh, January seventeenth, I would say, oh boy, fifty-five or sixty percent chance of convicting. John, how about you? What, what, what percent chance do you think? I admire your optimism, Hills, uh, but I, I'm not there. I, you know, unfortunately, this presidency has made me more pessimistic than I already was about things. Uh, probably, probably ten percent. I just don't see it happening. I mean, and 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 Josh, I hate to, I hate to be, you know, a corrector of record here, but you know, they Murkowski and uh, Toomey actually haven't said that they're going to vote to convict and They've just said that he's committed impeachable offenses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why I bring this up is I just feel like we've seen time and time again that you have these Republican figureheads that say these things that, oh, well, you know, he committed impeachable offenses. You know, he, he, he's culpable. I mean, that's, that's what Kevin McCarthy said on the, on the floor of the house. And and yet that they and yet they did not vote, you know, to impeach him. And Mitt Romney was the only one that voted to convict him. And it was, you know, on the last impeachment, uh, on impeachment part one, and it was only on one uh, article of impeachment. You know, it wasn't on both. And so I kind of take the 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 um, the mindset of I'll believe it until I see it. And I think that you'll see more. I think you'll see more people in the Senate, more Republicans, uh, you know, vote to convict him. I don't think it's just going to be Romney this time, but I'm just not at the point where I'd say, okay, yeah, I would, you know, I, I feel, you know, more confident that he'll actually get convicted this time around. There are, there are compelling arguments to be made about why now they would be in favor of it, because like you said, you know, the clean break from Trump, you know, sort of starting over, the party is kind of, you know, undergoing a civil war right now internally. I think you can also make the argument that, you know, he still has a large support within his base. I mean, they're very passionate. They're very loyal to him. I mean, his statement about how he could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't affect his poll numbers. Well, I mean, five people were, you know, shot during this insurrection. And I mean, I haven't looked at internal poll number numbers for him, but I would imagine that he hasn't really suffered a tremendous loss there in terms of his base. So, I, yeah, I don't know. In terms of a final number of people who might vote to convict him, I mean, maybe you could see maybe five, but I'm I'm just not even sure. I'm I'm very pessimistic about of the chances of that yeah. happening, of a full conviction. Now, uh, it's important that we had this impeachment, as both John and Hills have said. 
uh, because, you know, even though there's a week left and people are saying, why should we impeach if there's a week left? Right. Well, we are a country of laws and there have to be consequences. And it was the right thing for the House to do. It's the right thing for the Senate to take it up and it should be done. Uh, my last question for you guys, and this uh, thing that I just learned actually a couple of days ago, um, regardless of being convicted, right? I believe that there is that after the conviction, right, or lack of conviction, I believe the Senate can hold a vote about barring tr- barring Trump to run for office uh, again. He cannot run for 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 public office again. And I believe that only needs 51 votes. I believe you only need a simple majority of senators to say he should not run for office again. I have to believe that if Democrats have 50 and Republicans have 50, there is going to be one person, one senator who will say, I don't want Trump to run. Frankly, they should all do it because then if you're Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley, then the way has been paved clean for you to run in 2024. So I'm going to ask you the same question in the same order. What is the percent chance that Trump is, uh, is, is prohibited from running for office again with the 51 votes needed? Hales, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure about this one because convicting him on something he's clearly guilty of is one thing, but like prohibiting from running again in public office is like a, a whole nother thing. I mean, I obviously think he should be. Uh, I mean, also assuming that all the Democrats are on board with this, I can easily see some of the more conservative ones like Joe Manchin, maybe some of the Arizona senators kind of get a little freaked out, maybe even like Montana. So I would say them actually barring Trump from from holding office again is like, I might put it like 15% chance. Okay. A little bit lower, significantly lower than I said before. Okay. John, what do you think? What percent chance... Uh, is it that Trump is now is barred from uh, running for office again? Uh, I think I'm more in a, in agreement with Hills on this one. I think I need to do more research on it, quite honestly, because I thought that this was going to be part of the impeachment process. I wasn't, I guess for me, like I didn't realize that this might be a separate vote in itself. Um, you know, I think the Democratic conference... I have I actually have faith that that the Democratic conference would be more or less united on this, and they would they would say that he should be barred from holding public office again. Um, but I just don't know I don't know if the Democrats can peel away you know one or two Republicans to go along with this. I mean, you'll have strong statements from the GOP, but I think they're just they're so beholden, they're so fearful of losing that electoral support, which. Like I say, like I get it. I mean, I understand that for sure. I mean, that's that's how you build and consolidate power. But I I think I think they run the risk of depending on when, on when they hold the vote. I think timing is really important. I know there was some debate about whether or not they should transmit the article of impeachment because evidently it's just one article of impeachment. There was some debate about whether or not they transmit it now, you know, for immediate takeover when you know, the Democrats have the Senate versus later on after Biden's first 100 days. And so I think you have to kind of be mindful of the timing of it, because the longer you drag it out or if you introduce it past the 100 days or later on, you know, you really risk public sentiment sort of saying, OK, we really need to move on. It's been X amount of days and 
you know how the news cycle is. I mean, people are angry about something and then they sort of forget about it later on. So if they're going to make a decision like that, they need to make sure that they're doing it, that they're taking action sooner rather than later, because I think they have a risk of, you know, alienating not just, you know, their own base, but, you know, independence and things like that, that people that just want to move on. All right. Well, we have gone in on impeachment. Like I said, impeachment trials will probably start Thursday. You know, that's something else for you to watch because this horrible election cycle in 2020 will just never end. So let me ask let me ask you this question, Josh. So I was under the impression, and maybe our listeners or one of you guys can, you know, correct me here. I was under the impression that the that the impeachment trial in the Senate would actually take place on Wednesday. So I believe it would be that Wednesday, probably an hour after Biden is sworn in. I believe that's how it would have to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I thought I heard Thursday. I thought I heard Mitch McConnell say he wasn't going to call the Senate back before um, this Thursday. Uh, so um, I could be wrong. Or maybe it was Tuesday. I, I actually don't know. Uh, I guess. I guess. I guess. I guess I, it could. It could be be, be Tuesday the nineteenth. That yeah. That would actually make more sense. So yes, I guess it starts. It starts. Yeah, actually, I, I don't know. It would be Wednesday. It would be it'd be it'd be Wednesday. So Wednesday is inauguration right. day, the twentieth. So it would have to be that day, and I believe it's within an hour of Biden being swearing in. And you know, with them having to do the impeachment trial in the Senate, you know, there's a there's a great chance that it really slows down the ability of Biden to get his cabinet confirmed because the Senate has to be in session under the Constitution, and they have to basically make that their primary bit of business. And unless Schumer and McConnell can reach some kind of an agreement to where they're dividing up their time between the impeachment trial and confirming Biden's cabinet, Biden's cabinet's going to basically not be filled for quite some time. So do you, do you feel that Pelosi and the, and the House, you know, should they delay transmitting the articles to allow Biden to have his 100 days to get his cabinet confirmed? Or do you think that they should just proceed with it and just make that the sole focus? Because impeachment trials have a tendency to last quite a bit of time. He's getting uh, Blinken for state and Lloyd for defense. I believe those are starting on Tuesday. Uh, so the hope is that they can get those, both of those confirmed pretty quickly. You got to get his bit, you have to get the big four. You got you to get the big four uh, state, treasury, DOD, and attorney general. Those have to be top. The other people, I think, can wait a little bit. Hills, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they are starting on the big four um, confirmation uh, hearings on Tuesday. But impeachment needs to be done right now, right? Because yeah. as you said, John, like people get mad about things and then they forget about it. And to someone who doesn't follow politics nearly as close as we do, they don't know half the stuff going on. So if they hear in like july that trump's impeachment trial is going on they're gonna be like why did what's why just let him go already they're not going to understand right. it so i think if democrats are making the case which i think is the right case that trump is such a danger to you know the country he this needs to go on right now then we need to reprioritize that and i think that the senate can you know walk and chew gum i mean everyone in congress <laughs> is gonna yeah i mean like everyone in congress is gonna really make their pay i mean like they they should be expected to attend hearings write legislation process legislation like work five days a week for once like i they usually work like four and a half days they can do this i i totally think they can do this and now that the democrats are in charge we may not work five days but i think they're gonna 
make sure to prioritize, unlike Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell did at the start of Trump's presidency, I honestly think they do have a plan with legislation because we've already passed half of it in the House. There's already a blueprint, and I think they're going to be ready to go. Kamala Harris sat down with, with, with an interview with NPR today, and they said, they asked her the same question uh, that, that John, you asked us, and Kamala Harris said, we have to multitask because that word exists in the, in the, in, in the dictionary for a reason. We have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens. This is a big week coming up for us. So um, that was the appetizer. And you have your entree all about riots coming up right now. Welcome to your entree today. And we're going to be going through everything about the Capitol Hill riots and the, the, the entrance into the Capitol from Stop the Steal protesters and storming of the Capitol. We're going to storm the Capitol ourselves today on the pod. So, all right. So here's, we're going to start with what happened and then we're going to go into what does it mean? And then we're going to see, we're going to talk about what can we look for going forward because of what happened on January 6th. So let's start with what happened. Uh, and we'll obviously include all the links that we talk about. We'll include in the show notes. And so you could just swipe left or right on wherever you're listening to, and you can find all the links. And I'll include the Wikipedia link about January 6th because everyone kind of knows it already. So on January 6th, Trump encouraged a Stop the Steal rally composed of mostly his militant and white nationalist supporters to storm the Capitol ahead of the election certification vote. The certification vote is usually a mundane process. No one hears about it. No one knows about it. But since Trump has been spreading lies all over the last year, it has come under a huge microscope from right-wing conspiracy theorists um, and everyone else and Trump himself that the election can be overturned. And so let's listen to a clip of Trump actually instructing the crowd to go to the Capitol and intimidate lawmakers. Let's listen in. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. So just as the dictator-in-chief said, his group of terrorists got past a relatively light Capitol Police security, broke into the building, ransacked offices. Some were looking for hostages to take. They stole equipment. They beat officers. They broke into both legislative chambers. And there are some reports that even they smeared poop on some of the floors. I'm, I'm not kidding. We'll, we'll link it. We'll link it. Um, lawmakers and the vice president were all thankfully safe, but there have been six deaths reported for Trump supporters and two police, Capitol Police officers with many more injured. Congress still came back to in session to certify the votes with 147 GOP members still voting against the election certification, even after domestic terrorism. So I'm going to stop there. And Josh, I'm going to bring you in. What are your thoughts about everything that happened on January 6th? Oh, man. So I, I don't, I mean, I'm like a mile from the D.C. border. So it was, just, it was just crazy to see all that stuff happening. I mean, that's just stuff that happens in a, in a third world country, not in the United States. You know, and the thing that was even more revolting was the fact that you still had GOP members who were coming back and still objecting. 
they were still fighting the votes and i just it, it was it was so it was so difficult it was it was you know the a really low point in uh democracy and you know what's what's ironic is i was reading a story this morning that the trump campaign or the trump white house uh put out a scathing review of what happened in uganda there was an election in uganda and there was violence and there was talks of corruption and you know the trump trump white house was like you know we stand for fair and free elections and we cannot support the outcome in uganda and this and that it's like you motherfuckers you guys were you guys were doing the same thing you guys are doing the same thing that you're accusing uganda of doing and it's just it's so it's sad it's disappointing it's it's going to take a long time to heal what this riot did and it, it's it's a, it, it's a low low point in the nation's history yeah, and it points to you, Josh, for looping in international elections into the podcast. So you get you get a gold star for that one. Yeah, that was very good, very good. John, love to hear your thoughts. What do you think about everything that happened on January sixth? Uh, it's hard for me to basically say anything that hasn't already been said. Uh, I'm I'm obviously you know still very much uh, irate about what happened and just the whole the whole ridiculousness and the hypocrisy of of after you know this terrible you know act of terrorism happened you know the marco rubios of the world preaching unity and saying how you know impeachment is divisive it's like invading the capital and you know laying it to waste and trying to look for hostages like that's pretty fucking divisive to me don't you think like i i i'm so frustrated by the republicans just wanting to move on and treating this like seemingly it's not that big of a deal and just sort of saying we have to heal, we have to heal, we have to heal. I mean, to me, that's almost as insulting to the senses as, you know, what actually transpired um, at the Capitol. So I think it's really important for all of us to not lose sight of what happened. That's why I agree that we need to have a speedy uh, or however you want to call it, trial uh, for President Donald Trump. It's really important that we set the stage and set an example for the rest of the world to sort of show that, you know, America, which is often viewed and portrayed as that shining city on the hill or whatever the old expression is, like, we need to basically be true to that because if we let something like this happen unchecked, you know, everybody else is going to see that and say, oh, well, in America you know, the land that we've always seen as being the predominant power, things like that are going on there, so it must be not that big of a deal. So certainly the world will be watching these next few weeks to see how we as a country move forward and bring those responsible to justice. No, I think I think you make a, a couple of good points there. It's just in, insane, like we're all taught in school how great America is, and I, I don't think I think we're not a shining city on a hill. We're more like a city that was built a couple of decades ago and whose infrastructure is crumbling and whose, uh, <laughs> whose wealthy live in the gated community on the hill and the rest of the people live on the bottom of the hill. Um, but Josh, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. So how frustrating is it to hear the Republicans talk about unity now after they were the ones who kept pushing the lie that the election was stolen. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't even have words. It's, it's, you know, no respect for 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 the party right now. It's it's just it's unbelievable. You 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 know, 
like John said, impeachment, right, is going to divide the country. And Joe Biden talked about healing. First off, Joe Biden isn't the one bringing the the impeachment, right? This is coming from from from, from the, the House. It's coming from Nancy Pelosi and and the and uh, other um, Congress members and, and the people they represent who are angry and fearful and want an impeachment. It's not coming from Joe Biden, right? But that is apparently so divisive, right? But when you have your life threatened, these people are calling to hang the vice president, right? And you and and these capital law law enforcement people, you know, they they keep they kept you safe and you're alive, right? To have the balls to go back in there and say, I still object. It's just, you know, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. It's sad. It's pathetic. It's and and I don't even feel badly for for people like Kelly Leffler who changed her vote to I I'm now not going to uh to uh to to, to support this this count this uh you know this dispute this electoral college vote like that doesn't make her a good person she's she was part of the problem in the first place so I, I there's 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 no um there's no way to 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 these people to redeem themselves they have to be voted out the next time it comes around because. You know, it it people storming the Capitol and wanting to kill them and hang them and and you know arrest them was not enough to change their their conscience and and we should just talk briefly. I think about the fact how how these insurrectionists were treated by the police, right? There are videos, there are videos of of, of them helping members who stormed the U.S. Capitol down the steps, but like like literally holding their hand. As they uh, are walking down the steps, right? I think everyone on this podcast can agree. If those were Black Lives Matters uh, uh, protesters, right? If they were not white, they, we would have many, 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 many dead protesters. Um, and if this is not the definition of white privilege and how minority communities are treated in this country, then I don't know what is because it's so disgraceful and so. It's so disgusting, right? And you know, everyone should be ashamed because it's 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 one of the grossest things that I've seen. How these insurrectionists and and terrorists were were coddled by the police for the most part. Yeah, they were. They were. I mean, there were lots of videos, and like some of them, they were just one of them. So you you can't really they can't really do anything. But like they they were really coddled and uh, <laughs> there were no, no arrest. I mean, there were protests outside the white house to stop the Keystone XL pipeline, like, you know, almost 10 years ago and everyone got arrested, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were all zip tied and arrested. Yeah. Um, and, and John, before we move on, like, do you have any thoughts on like why the Capitol police, you know, were so light on these, these, you know, domestic terrorists? I'm trying to think a little bit about if I've ever really had any, you know, interactions with them on Capitol Hill. I mean, you know, I I think I'd like to believe on some level that some of them legitimately were just totally caught off guard by it and really didn't know how to respond. I mean, but there's really no excuse for, you know, people like just seemingly like letting them in or, you know, I I saw one video where they seem to have escorted somebody into the house chamber. Like it's, it's pretty damn depressing that there doesn't seem to be, at least based on the videos and pictures that I've seen, it doesn't seem like there's been very many 
you know, talk of, like, the actual efforts that, that they took to really, you know, cool temperatures, so to speak. So, you know, I, I part of me thinks that these insurrectionists had some kind of help internally. Um, it seemed, you know, there was Jim Clyburn, the, uh, the whip for the Democratic caucus in the House, gave an interview recently where he said something to the effect of how they, you know, he's got two offices, you know, one of which, which is public record and people know about and the other one that isn't. And he said that evidently they were able to find his other office and how he, he took that to mean that they clearly had some kind of help or training or support. So there's going to be, there needs to be a thorough and, uh, you know, investigation into this. It, it seems that these people you know, had some kind of help along the way. And it just makes me sick to think that people at, you know, high level, high levels of our government may have actually had some kind of, you know, influence on this. You know, you'd like to not think that. You'd like to think that these are just a couple of bad apples, but it's kind of hard to really like, you know, move past that when you see the, the just complete destruction and the incompetence of the law enforcement around them just makes me pretty fucking mad still just to talk about <laughs> it it makes it makes all of us mad and we're going to go into it potentially you know how they got help in, in just a moment but i think that's a very good point like these protesters a lot of them were just disorganized but there were clearly some people who knew more than others so that needs to be investigated and so let's go into what this all means we just talked a little bit about it but here's a couple of points that maybe didn't come up that we should we should really explore so first of all Impeachment. So we, we talked about that. And, you know, Trump got double impeached, first president in history to have that happen. So not an easy feat for most presidents. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing is the removal of, uh, you know, calls for removal of Trump from office. Um, polling has shown potentially Trump is down to 29%, according to Pew Research, that his approval rating is so low. Most other ones show Trump between 35 and 39%. Gallup has him at 39, which is still a pretty big low for his presidency. And so that means the Trump floor has seemingly been broken because Trump never used to go below like 40%. So finally, something is happening, and I think the GOP smells a little bit more blood in the water, and that's why they're a little bit more up for going against him. And another thing that has been going on and and businesses are paying attention to this is many corporations, large corporations have decided to withhold money um, to Republicans voting against the certification process. Some of them have said that they're holding all political donations pending, quote, review of their own policies. But I mean, this is a big thing. When, when the money dries up, when the money stops, that's when the real consequences begin. And uh, one of the reasons they're beginning this way is because remember, there are a couple of episodes we told you about the counties that Biden won, they make up 75% of the U.S. economic output. So that means the Biden voters, the counties where the Biden voters are, are the ones really paying attention and the ones that the businesses are trying to cater to because they make up so much economic output. So you clearly see a linkage between what businesses want to do to uphold their public reputation and what they're doing politically. I don't know if it's ever going to stay this way, but right now it's, it's a good sign that they're withholding money. Another thing that happened was social media companies across the spectrum have banned or removed Trump um, from their platforms. 
They've also banned and removed websites like platforms like Parler, which is basically a white supremacist Twitter, which is great. That means people can't organize, you know, white supremacists and neo-Nazi activity. There have been some reports that certain members of Congress helped plan tours to stop the steel organizers a few days ahead of, you know, the, the, the rally when there were no tours supposed to be given at this time. And if they're were involved, they could face massive criminal criminal penalties. We've had hundreds of Trumpers who stormed the Capitol arrested in the last few days, a lot of them really gratifying to see their, their mugshots on TV. And the last thing is that there's a massive military presence in D.C. right now. Um, there's more military in D.C. than in Afghanistan right now. And that should be scary because that is not right. So... John, what do you think about these? What do you think about these uh, these consequences, and what do, which ones do you think are really going to stay for the mid to long term, if any? I think the military presence is one that will probably stay for a little while. It's hard to really gauge uh, how long exactly, but you know, with the recent reporting that was that was uh, put out there about how uh, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have uncovered. Other such insurrections, you know, leading up to or on Inauguration Day and, you know, other states and in D.C., I think, you know, this country is on, is on a significant level of high alertness that we haven't seen in quite some time, probably not since 9-11. I think, unfortunately, we're going to be in a situation in which that's going to be the case for a little while, maybe the first hundred days. Uh, you know, I don't... <laughs> If I learn anything about this presidency, it's that my predictions and expectations of what's going to happen rarely come to fruition. So it's, <laughs> it's hard. It's it's hard for me to basically feel confident, you know, based on what's going on right now and and scenarios that played out that I didn't in my wildest dreams expect to happen. It's really hard to gauge what will happen next. But I do think I do think we can expect a heightened military presence for sure, at the very least. Um, one, you know, it is it is kind of interesting on the subject of you know deplatforming and uh, you know that's <laughs> Republicans' favorite phrase is cancel culture and it's 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 kind of I I, I must say I, I do kind of get a level of, of pleasure out of seeing these you know people who you know decry so-called snowflakes and you know cancel culture and this and that it is kind of funny to see them on the other side of that you know Josh Hawley had a book deal that was canceled and he's he put out a statement saying that he's going to sue the publisher which i believe is Simon and Schuster which you know it's just kind of laughable because in a free enterprise system you know they made a business decision and he could easily go elsewhere to get whatever piece of shit book he wants published and so you know i i have enjoyed the the cancel culture impacting the republicans right now i think it's a good start um but i would say uh, but I will say that Joe Manchin made a really good point recently, and I don't often agree with Joe Manchin on much of anything. He did say that they are looking at expelling Holly and Cruz and others that, you know, kind of played a role in sort of getting us to where we are right now. And I think I think that's a really important action to take into take into consideration. I'm trying to think of the last time, or if there was a last time that that that, that sort of action happened in our nation's history. Uh, maybe it was when they, you know, that senator or congressman got caned to death. Maybe I'm sure that the person that caned the person got expelled. I, that's probably the only thing I could think of. But 
while the financial impacts of being canceled definitely will be felt across you know, the senators and across the Trump team, I think expelling some of these folks really needs to be on the table. And I really hope that the Democrats that have this majority and feel this sense of empowerment after winning Georgia, I really hope that they actually get off their ass and, you know, do something forceful like that. Because if this were reversed and the Republicans had the majority and the Democrats were somewhat maybe speciously involved in a similar, you know, moment, I can guarantee you that they'd be moving to expel them. So I think that they're going to need to set an example. And I think that's, that's the most impactful thing they can do right now. Yeah, I think I think they should be <laughs> expelled too. And and Josh, why did all these social media companies take forever to ban Trump? Forever? Uh, because it took literally the potential uh, crippling of our democracy for them to do something. I mean, and Trump's going to be out of office regardless in, uh, you know, a couple days now. So, you know, it was the right thing to do. It took them forever to do it, right? Um, but I, I guess it's good they did it. And, you know, hopefully it tempers things down a little bit um, because there does have to, be, have to be some accountability. You you can't yell fire in a, a, a movie theater, Right. Like that, that, that puts people in danger, right? So there's talk of, of First Amendment freedoms, right? But not when it's going to cause harm to other people, right? And Twitter and Facebook, like they have, there, there are agreements that you have to make, right? And if you violate those, those agreements, it's a private company. They have every right to suspend your account because you agreed to terms when you signed up with them, right? And this bullshit about Trump how he's being silenced. Like he's the president. He could call a press conference and he gets everyone out there. He can go sit down with, you know, whoever he wants to. And immediately everyone's going to, going to be, gonna, is going to be, be, be watching. Maybe when he's done, right. He'll only be talking to Fox news and OAN and news Mac. Trump was not silenced, right. He, he still has a voice. His first amendment free, uh, freedoms were not violated in any way, shape or form. And, John, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about the military police. I think that's going to be the biggest lasting impact because you have hills. I didn't know that there are more military police in D.C. than there are in Afghanistan. That's, that is a astonishing stat. Um, and for people who don't pay attention to politics, right, who turn on the news, the local news, every morning and every night, right, to just get a quick five-second recap of what's happening in their area, they're going to see these pictures of these soldiers just sleeping on the Capitol ground, right? Not having a place to shower, right? For these long shifts. And Inauguration Day is going to be crazy. The amount of military that's going to be there, that's going to be something that is going to stick with people for a long time, I think. Uh, I mean, we are all political junkies and we, you know, know the ins and outs of different things. But I think seeing the military in the nation's capital and having so many of them is something that, that I don't think is going to go away anytime quickly. One other an antidote is I was talking with a coworker of mine, and he said that his dad was the principal at a middle school um, so years ago, and every day uh, before, every day after the inauguration, he would gather the whole school together, and he would tell the school what we just witnessed. We, we just witnessed the peaceful transfer of power, right? From one party to the next, there was no bloodshed, no one died. There was no hubaloo. It was it was peaceful, right? 
and he if if you were alive or if you were st- if you were still running the the um the the middle school he couldn't say that this time he couldn't say it right because we did have bloodshed right there there was a rot i think those are two things that are going to stick with people for a long time that's crazy that's crazy that he was able to say it every year because he because it was a normal year uh every inauguration but i mean that's so sad uh don't you guys think we're being a little hard on trump being banned? <laughs> um <laughs> I think we could be a little harder, truth be told. <laughs> I will say this. I mean, in, in regards to social media companies and all of that, I, I, I do think, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, going to say, oh, well, he shouldn't have been suspended from Twitter. I'm not. I'm definitely not saying that at all. In fact, he should have been suspended from Twitter a long time ago. I will say that we do. I, there does seem to be bipartisan agreement um, that the social media terms of service and how they, you know, how they actually like, you know, enforce that and whether or not it's consistent. I think that's a debate worth having because I think that social media companies have generally speaking been pretty empowered to like set their own terms. And there's that whole section 230 business, which I know Trump has, you know, really made that a huge priority. And he tried to sort of insert that into the national defense legislation um, but there are some, there are some valid, you know, there are some valid complaints about that, um, about section 230, specifically about, you know, whether Twitter is a publisher of content or, or if it's just a platform. I mean, there, there was a really interesting piece and I'm not trying to get off on a, on too big of a tangent here, but it's just something to think about, I guess, is there was this really interesting piece in 60 minutes about this guy who was a, you know, was a father of the, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the name of the uh, of the elementary school with that massive shooting. But he, you know, he was slandered and he was accused on Twitter of, you know, basically, you know, lying about the school shooting and being a crisis actor. And Twitter did nothing to, you know, really, right. you know, protect him. And and I, I say this not because you know Trump is facing similar circumstances. He's definitely not. But. I do think that it will be interesting in the wake of all that's happened, and maybe it'll be spurred upon by, you know, Trump's expulsion from the platform if there will be a new effort to try and overhaul how social media sort of moderates its content. Um, So I don't think, while it's great that he's gone from Twitter and Parler has been, you know, kicked off the app stores and all of that, I think we're going to have, I think it's going to embolden a lot of these people to try and, pursue an overhaul of those platforms and so i am interested on some level to see where that goes yeah i think there are some questions about like social media platforms and regulation that will definitely come up so i think that's a really good point but i gotta say i mean the last week and a half two weeks that trump has been off twitter have been like peaceful like it's been like a new world yeah (laughs) right they should have just done this back in 2017 it would have saved everyone a lot of trouble so Let's let's uh, get to the last part of this entree, which is what can we look for in the future? So number one, I think obviously we just talked about the impeachment section, that possible consequences for Trump federally and then potentially even on the state level, um, you know, once he's out of office. So there's there's a lot of legal trouble for Trump potentially in the future. Number two, I think I personally think the FBI is going to start cracking down on more right, white supremacists and neo-Nazis in the coming weeks now that Biden is president. I fully believe that because Trump has been president and, you know, all of his political 
allies or in the administration that the FBI purposely did not like. They tracked them, but I, they purposely didn't act on a lot of these neo-Nazis because they were Trump allies. So I think that's going to happen. Sadly, I think the, the right is just as fired up as they ever can be, and they will try and be more violent. Um, and they may even show up to the polls come election time. So I think that's something we have to look for. Um, you know, how, how shaken are these group of seven senators that we need to work with in the Senate? It's a big question. Because there are a lot of um, there's a lot of legislation that Biden needs to pass in the next few months to years, and he's gonna have at least a few GOP members of support. So, how much does this actually shake the GOP? We should be looking for lots of security around the Biden Biden and Harris for the foreseeable future. Any events, any sort of stump meetings, any sort of community meetings. I think. I think there's real danger for Biden and Harris from these white right-wing nut jobs. Um, just as you were saying, John, I think we should be looking to how Congress may potentially put on more regulations on social media companies and how they handle political campaigns in the future. So that's a that's a <laughs> that's a big one. And lastly, and we don't know if this is actually true yet, um, how will this impact the Republican brand? We're getting really, really early supports and indications. There was just a couple of stats out of North Carolina that a lot, there were a few thousand people from the Republican Party who, you know, disassociated themselves. They became independents. Um, will this become, be an issue up to 2022? Will people remember this in 2022? I think those are really open questions. So, um, Josh, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think about any of the things I listed? And am I missing anything from this list? The thing about people switching parties, uh, I think, could be a big concern. GOP, I think, I, I fully agree with you, Hills, that the FBI was uh, maybe tracking white supremacists, but when you have the President of the United States saying there are good people on both sides, you know, um, and how he, above anything else, demanded loyalty, it's no surprise that they didn't go after them. So we could start seeing some real crackdowns. I think it's funny that during uh, the summer, Trump signed an executive order that said anyone who uh, defaced or defiled um, national monuments or national buildings and stuff has to face a mandatory 10 years in prison. So I hope that uh, that reigns <laughs> true for all of his supporters now. Uh, your, your candidate has literally put you in jail. So congratulations. One thing to look uh, that we should also look forward to is, like you said, Hills, a little bit of the fury from the GOP, um, you know, the, the, the GOP knows that their base is shrinking and shrinking because old, uneducated, or not not always old, but un uneducated white people is not the growing demographic in the United States, right? The growing demographic in the United States is, you know, uh, college-educated people, people who are minorities, women, right? That is the growing demographic. And so if these people, if the, if the GOP get um, power in certain states, do they look to impose different kinds of voting restrictions on, on, on places as an attempt to diminish the growing demographics for the, the, the Democrats? That's something that I'm definitely going to be looking forward to is the fury of the GOP. Um, they're going to be fired up uh, just as much as Democrats are. And if they get hold of a swing state like a Georgia, right, or a North Carolina, or even a Florida or an Ohio, right? And they can pass these things, they will. 
right? They 100% will because they will disenfranchise people who are not their voters, right? So something else to look, I think that's something else that we should look forward to or not look forward to, but be on the, on the lookout for rather. That's a good point about the voting laws. I uh, I didn't think about that, but it is very much connected. So that's a very excellent point there, Josh. John, is there anything that you think I missed from, from this list of what we can be looking for? And do you think the Senate's going to start working with Biden because of this? Well, to answer your first question, I think you, you, know, you captured everything perfectly, certainly in terms of what I'm thinking about. I think we really need to be mindful of the midterms. And I know people right now are, you know, excited that Biden you know, won the presidency, and I certainly am. Um, and, you know, maybe 2022 seems, it might for some people, might seem a little too far away to really think about. But I think there are some pretty important things to keep in mind. It's that, you know, the Democrats lost quite a bit more in the House than they were projected to lose. And um, Pelosi has a very, very, very thin margin right now. And she's a highly... Uh, polarizing person, whether whether or not you think it's valid or not, you know, it, the truth of the matter is that she is. And her party, her leadership, they're all, you know, with all due respect, they're relatively geriatric, and they don't really have any young Democratic faces. I mean, everybody knows AOC, for better or for worse. Uh, I could probably have like an hour and a half podcast talking about my thoughts about AOC, but I'm not going to do that, obviously. <laughs> but I do think I do think that they still need to to be bipartisan. They still need to not overplay their hand because the last thing that we need to do is give a fractured GOP a reason to mobilize again. I mean, I, I remember very well when I was an intern on Capitol Hill, which you know, in this particular anecdote, probably doesn't sound that far, you know, far ago, but where we were in a messaging meeting, it was a morning messaging meeting, it was at eight o'clock in the morning, I think it was every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I'm not a morning person at all. And it was during the time where Paul Ryan, good old Paul Ryan, golden boy, Paul Ryan was the, you know, Speaker of the House. And there was this big push, as there always was, to, you know, repeal Obamacare. Um, and during, you know, during this morning messaging meeting, this party messaging meeting, one of the, you know, young aides was saying, we're getting killed in messaging right now in regards to the Obamacare repeal debate because, you know, the GOP was putting out these ads talking about death panels and, you know, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Like, they were really effective at messaging. And I think, Generally speaking, Republicans are much better messengers. Now, their messages may be, you know, complete bullshit and scare tactics, but they're very effective at getting people out to the polls. And I think that Democrats need to be very mindful of this. They, you know, it's important to think big, and, and I think we all we all want to, and we want, you know, big structural changes. I mean, I certainly would love to see the passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and, you know, would love to see, you know, the stimulus uh bill that Biden's talking about for COVID, COVID relief. But um, I think it's just very important to just like to look, look ahead a little bit and just be mindful of, we still need to try and be bipartisan. Because I think that, you know, the margins that we're holding right now are, are very slim and precarious. And typically, the party that's in power suffers the biggest loss in the midterms. And so I'm looking ahead to 2022. I'm thinking about what that looks like. I am... Yeah, that's that's something that's very much on my 
radar. But I will say, not to be all doom and gloom, I am elated that we have control of the legislature and the executive branch. My question to you is, with Biden's recently announced COVID relief bill, he did say that as part of the relief negotiation, or excuse me, relief bill, that it would involve um, $1,400 stimulus checks. And I've seen debates online from other more progressive folks than I who have said, hey, you say $2,000 check, we want a $2,000 check. And the argument is, well, the $1,400 plus the $600 that we just got equals $2,000, so there's your $2,000 check. So my question to you is do you think that that is a that that will prove to be a a challenge for the party in terms of you know both ends of the spectrum of the Democratic Party of the progressives that are saying we want the two thousand dollar check straight up two thousand dollars towards you know the moderate wing of the party that is just sort of saying hey fourteen hundred dollars is good do you worry that that'll you know cause a schism within the party is that something you guys are concerned about? So I think with that, I think if it's targeted, because I was watching Joe Manchin talk about this, and thank you for the, the question, and I, I just want to say I, I think looking ahead towards 2022 is, you know, no way, there's so much that comes out of this, this riot, so I think that's a really good one to bring up, so thank you for bringing it up. And I was listening to Joe Manchin, and he was talking about how he doesn't want everyone to just get a $2,000 check or $1,400 check. He wants it to be targeted. So I think if the Democrats can figure out a way to mend inside themselves about like who exactly gets this money, I think Joe Manchin might be willing to vote for $3,000 if it's targeted the right way. So I think if it's targeted the right way to the specific people, and that's above my pay grade, I don't know how to, how to know who gets what. But I think if they do that, I think Joe Manchin and maybe some of the more conservative Democrats, maybe even maybe Romney or Collins, might be on board to vote for it. But I don't think they're going to just do blanket, everyone gets 2000 I think that's not going to work. John, you made a really good point. I think that the, I think a lot of that comes down to messaging, right? It's, it's, a, it's a bad example of Biden said we're going to get $2,000. The first thing we're going to do is get $2,000 passed. And people thought, oh, that's $2,000, $2,000. Not 1400 in addition to the 600 Like, there's just got to be better messaging out there. But yeah, I, I think I think targeting it is smart and i think if you target it the right way you can even get some gop members to, to come on board I, I i think i think regardless of who the president is the president has a huge influence on what gets passed and how and how soon and and, and the amount of pressure that's being put on there biden knows how to work the senate that's you know what he did for forever um kamala can appeal to the more progressive members a little bit i think just if just Biden inserting himself into the conversation is going to make things go a lot smoother and not choosing what he wants to be a part of like Trump did for all four years. Not all of us will <laughs> might get checks, but some of us might. And I think with Biden part of this part of this administration and actually knowing how Senate legislation is passed, I think all of us can maybe breathe yeah. a little bit easier now that we have a competent person in the White House. So with all that we talked a bunch about the riots and what it could mean, and now we're going to go into the dessert, which is all about the inauguration. Coming right up. So now we have your dessert, which is all about the inauguration. So I'm going to go through what we know. <clears throat> so here's what we know so far. Uh, we are going to have a very reduced capacity at the inauguration. Uh, don't try and get your ticket because you won't be able to. 
there's one guest per person from Congress for who is able to attend. Uh, so it's very similar to a State of the Union address. Trump is not going to attend, but Mike Pence will. Trump plans to leave very early Wednesday morning, and he wants to have a big send-off with a crowd of people waving goodbye to him, and he wants a 21-gun salute as he leaves, which is usually something that is reserved for military honors. So that's great. <laughs> the The inauguration committee is planning on, uh, on planting American flags all over the Capitol, one flag for each person who has died from COVID-19 as a reminder to people um, about what's going on and as a deterrent from people who are attending so they won't step on American flags. There is going to be a primetime address concert thing that's hosted by Tom Hanks, and you're going to have various people performing like Lady Gaga and other people who are going to be performing. The day before that, there's going to be a wreath-laying ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery uh, and a virtual parade that will commence afterwards. There is not going to be an inauguration ball, so Hills, you're going to have to uh, wait on wearing your uh, gown and dress until the, the next one. Oh, man. I know. Uh, and the, <laughs> the theme is Our Determined Democracy Forging a More Perfect Union and America United. And just a few fun facts uh, about the inauguration. This is going to be the first president from Delaware who's going to be in the White House. He is also, Joe Biden is also the oldest president, and he is the second Catholic after John F. Kennedy, and he is the 15th former vice president to hold the office. Uh, Kamala Harris, as we've said before, is going to be the first female African-American and Asian-American vice president that we'll have in the United States. So, John, I'll turn to you first, John. Just general thoughts about the inauguration, thoughts about how, how they're doing it uh, virtually, the, the theme of it, just your general thoughts about what, what's going on on Wednesday. You know, it's interesting. I, I wasn't even aware that it was being done virtually because I know that there was some debate about whether or not they should still proceed with having it out, you know, having one part of it outside or not. Um, and my initial thought at that, you know, with that debate was that. They shouldn't have the traditional one outside. It should be, you know, in a secure location because I think we can expect some kind of incident to happen, unfortunately. Um, so I'll be interested to see how it goes. I remember when I watched the DNC, I found the virtual DNC thing to be kind of annoying and kind of cringy at times. I mean, we all understand why it had to be virtual, obviously, but, um, you know, you're just, you're kind of used to like, you know, a standard operating procedure when it comes to these big, you know, these big events. So when it's not that, it's a little bit, you know, jarring. <laughs> and, so, and some can pull it off better than others. Uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle would fall under the category of somebody who can pull it off terribly, you know, wrong. <laughs> she was a, you know, complete disaster uh, and is a complete disaster as a person. I'm interested in the speech. The, the whole, like, you know, I, I'm a sucker for Hollywood and celebrities like the next person, but like, I, I, I honestly could care less about, you know, the Tom Hanks, you know, portion of it. Like the speech is what I'm most interested to hear, because I think we can expect, you know, a speech about unity and coming together. And it'll be interesting to sort of see how that's how that's pitched, uh, which I think is, is a good is a fine message and one that we need. I really believe that this particular inauguration, this presidency, is incredibly consequential, and many people across the country, across the world, will be tuning in to see how 
we respond and how we act going forward. So the the moment of it, the occasion of it will be very important, more will be more important more so than like the pageantry and the spectacle. <laughs> yeah. Hills, thoughts on uh on the inauguration and having it be virtual and how different it's gonna be? Part of me is like really pissed off that the the Trump people have taken this away from us, right? Yeah. Like we won this election. It was a fair election. Like, of course, every election has like little things that go wrong, but like there was no fraud. So part of me is pissed. The other part of me is just, you know what? I'm happy he's going to be in the in office. I'm happy he's going to be able to undo a lot of stuff that Trump did and really help a lot of people. Like part of, I'm I'm feeling a little bit conflicted because I it's it's our moment, right? But then again, we can also have our moment watching it on TV. <laughs> I wouldn't be there in person anyway. So like, <laughs> what am I, I'm not, what am I complaining? I'm going to be on my couch. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think this makes sense. I just wish, I just really hope that they're all prepared about whatever can come. I love it, it being outside, but I wouldn't also be opposed with them like changing it to be inside the Capitol Dome like Reagan had in 1984. There's precedent for that. So like whatever's going to be the safest, have them do it because just get them into office and Trump out. That's all I want. <laughs> No, I, I agree. I, I went to Obama's uh, second inauguration. I, I mean, I was just watching from one of the buildings that my dad worked in. And, and it was really cool and it was awesome. And, and you know, uh, we got to see Biden and Obama. Walk, I think it was Biden at that point walk by and he was like, you know, waving to people and pointing at stuff. And and uh, and it, it was awesome. And it just sucks that we can't have that. But I will leave this segment on a positive note. Here are things that we expect uh, Biden to get done on January 20th, 21st, and the 22nd. Okay, this is from his chief of staff, who's outlined things that these are executive actions he's going to take on the first on the on the first three days. So on inauguration day, he is going to extend a pause on federal student loan payments and interest. He is going to uh, rejoin the Paris Agreement. He is going to reverse the Muslim ban. He is going to issue a mask mandate for as far as he's able to do that. And he is going to extend eviction and foreclosure restrictions. The next day, Biden, according to his chief of staff, will sign an, an executive action uh, to mitigate spread through expanding testing, protecting workers, and establishing clear public health standards. And the following day, he is going to direct his cabinet agencies to take, quote, immediate action to deliver economic relief to working families. And it sounds like a lot of, like, you know, mumbo political jumbo but just it's just so important to realize you know even though we don't know how the congress is going to play out and what Biden's able to um pass having competent people right in leadership positions is going to make a world of difference uh for millions and millions of americans so while we're all sitting on our couches watching what might be at times a very cringy <laughs> inauguration maybe we can take uh solace in those things that biden's going to do and We'll have adults running the country again. Can I ask you a um, question, Josh and John? Yes. So at twelve oh one p.m. Eastern time, what are you going to be doing? <laughs> Other than obviously watching it, what is your going to be reaction? I am going to immediately go to the POTUS t- Twitter handle and make sure that Biden has indeed taken over on the POTUS handle. That will be the first thing that I do at twelve oh one. John, what are you going to be up to? Probably that, honestly. I mean, that's that's definitely that's definitely been you know consuming <laughs> my my uh, my existence these last few days is that damn POTUS Twitter handle. 
you know, to Josh's point, I mean, I'm very excited about the people that he's picked for the cabinet for the most part. There's a few, I, I should say, and maybe I'm being, you know, a little bit sour grapes here. There's a few that I have a few questions about, and I'm not so sure I feel. But overall, I'm very pleased with the people that he's going to be having in his cabinet. I think it's, I think it's, uh, they're very experienced, they're very qualified. It's very diverse, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, and there are people that he's picked that, you know, are just, are perfect in every sense of the word. You know, Janet Yellen is somebody that I, I never really got super excited about the treasury secretary, uh, pick and really, you know, paid much attention in previous years, but, um, she seems to be somebody that really has the support of, of both sides of the Democratic Party. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, she's able to do in that role. Um, so, yeah, over, past, you know, I guess past the inauguration within these next hundred days or so, I'm really excited. I'm going to be really excited to see what this cabinet's able to come up with and um, what they're able to achieve. I just, there's a part of me that is just like, still in denial, uh, or just can't believe that Donald Trump lost the presidency. I mean, I was just so resigned to the fact that we would have another four-year term, and it's it's still had, like, it's hit me a couple of times, but there's still the occasional moment where it's like, oh, are we actually getting out of this presidency? Like, are these four years, like, there is a light at the end of the tunnel? Like, I'm not going to have to relive this again? Like, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. And I'm sure, like, at 1201, like, the gravity and the sense of, you know, relief will just be overwhelming. Like, I'm sure, like, my my sleep schedule will have returned to some level of normalcy and, like, my anxiety level will have dropped considerably now that he's out of the White House. So I'm looking forward to that day for sure. I know my, I know, I know so my therapist true. is as well. Well, maybe actually, actually, he might not be. He's probably going to be pretty bummed out because I've been, you know, putting his kids through college, you know, ever since Donald Trump got elected president. So he'll probably be pretty bummed. Hills, what are you going to be doing at twelve one? Uh, jumping up and down, when <laughs> in in screams of joy. Yeah, and then going back to work. <laughs> um. I'll leave you. I'll leave this segment, guys, with uh, one, one of our favorites, uh, Matt Gates, your uh, <laughs> <laughs> representative member out of uh, yeah, definitely out of Florida. He he's he's batshit crazy. He uh, just came out. I saw that on the news. He uh, he was on Fox News as one is, and he said this quote. He said, "quote The legacy of President Donald Trump will get better with age, just like a fine." wine end quote so you know that's that's where 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 he is i tend to think the de- the legacy of donald trump will get worse like bad tuna fish has been left in in, in the fridge for far too long Ew. josh has that happened josh has that happened to you recently that's quite a comparison <laughs> did you did you forget to take it out today <laughs> let's <laughs> let's just say i uh, i bought tuna fish a couple days ago and uh I, ha- I haven't opened it, and it's gone bad by now, and I'm very hesitant to open it and, and, and see if it's good. So, <laughs> yes, that, 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 that did happen to me. <laughs> that is your dessert, and we are coming back with the answer to your pre-dinner shot, and that's coming up right now. We have the answer to your pre-dinner shot. As a reminder, the Hills told you all the way back at the beginning 
The question was, who was the last president to not attend an inauguration for their successor? Okay. And the answer is Andrew Johnson back in uh, like 1864-ish. 18, well, I guess maybe 1869, I guess, would be when he was out of the, of the White House. Um, he was uh, the president who took over for Abraham Lincoln, and he was succeeded by Grant. Uh, Grant was apparently very upset with him for how he handled Lincoln's legacy, and Grant refused to ride in a carriage with Andrew Johnson to the White House. That was a thing back then. You would, the incoming pre, uh, president would, president-elect would ride in a carriage with the president to the Capitol, where there would be the change of powers. Uh, and so Grant refused to ride in the carriage with him because he was so pissed about how he handled Lincoln's legacy and Lincoln's second, second term. So Johnson responded by uh, not attending the ceremony, and he was actually in the White House signing different legislation until the exact moment that Grant was sworn in. Sounds like something that Trump could be doing. Unlike uh, Johnson, Trump will probably be in Mar-a-Lago, not in the White House, but we know that he won't be tweeting, so that'll be that'll be nice for everybody. So there you have it, Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson. You have to go back quite a while to find that one. Yeah, you really do. You really, really do. Hills or John, any last comments? No, I just wanted to just say it was a real pleasure to be on this podcast. I had a lot of fun. Uh, learned, learned some things. Honestly, I'm kind of ashamed that I did not know that that was Andrew Johnson. Uh, my... Middle school uh, <laughs> civics professor or teacher is probably, you know, if, if he's listening to this, probably be very upset um, that I didn't know that little bit of history. But, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what happens over these next few days. I just I just got a breaking news alert actually on my phone that said that Trump is slated to pardon uh, 100 people uh, on Tuesday. I'm kind of interested to see what comes of that. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun and I uh, hope to do it again soon. John, we, w- we really want to thank you for coming on and, and chatting with us and, and talking through all these issues with us. It was a lot of fun. So thank you for your time today. And before you go, before you go, don't turn off the pod yet. We have a couple of more things for you. We are going to be having more guests on the pod once a month. So you'll be hearing from uh, a, lot of our, a lot of our friends and people who know politics. So uh, stay tuned. The intro and the outro music is by Brett Hillsberg, and the transition music is by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy the pod, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. It'll help, and it'll get your episodes into your feed a lot quicker. If you love us, leave us a written review. If we get five or more reviews, it'll make the show turn up for more and more people so they can join us and join our community of three-course potters. Uh, I just named our community. I don't know if I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I love that. I love it. I love it. Leave it in. Leave it in. Leave it in. If you have any questions, you can email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Stay safe.